Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We're a spirit-filled church, but we love the Word. We love the Word. We just love the Word. Just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Because <laughs> we like to be balanced in what we do. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going, just as a brief review. This morning, we're going to begin diving into Romans chapter 6. We are in part 4 of our series on sanctification. We have learned a few things so far, so just briefly, we have talked about what sanctification is as, uh, as far as the definition. The word means to make holy, to purify or consecrate, to hollow, or to be holy, to separate from things profane and dedicate to God. Uh, one uh, definition is uh, the word carries the idea of removing our lives from one place or position into another to be used of God. We looked at three kinds of sanctification. We looked at positional sanctification, experiential sanctification, and ultimate or eternal sanctification. Last week or two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. And we uh, looked at the verse that talks about uh, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we saw this, that the, apo- the apostle carefully informed the Philippians that they were responsible before God for living out their own salvation. They could not lean upon him, so his absence should not make a difference in whether or not they were faithful to God. Paul, of course, did not tell the Philippians they should work for their salvation. A person cannot work out what he does not have or she does not have. Nowhere in Scripture is the paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility more clearly shown than here. Work out contains the idea of carrying out to an ultimate conclusion. In the process, which obviously is a reference to the work of sanctification, the attitude must be one of serious caution. The sanctified or spiritually mature believer is more aware of their actions based on who is in them rather than who is around them. You obey whether Paul or the priest or the pastor or the apostle is around or not because you know Christ is there with you all the time. You are the temple of God. Then last week we dove into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we saw that the renewing of the mind or learning to think according to Scripture, having the mind of Christ, is one of the real keys to success in the Christian life. This maturity helps you see life as it truly is and move through circumstances as Jesus himself did when he was on the earth. A renewed mind also helps you mature in the ever-improving will of God for your life. You begin in the good will of God, progress into the more acceptable will of God, and you finally end up in the perfect will of God. Or we would say, I would say it like this, rather than thinking of it as a natural destination, think of it as a level of maturity. You are mature in Christ. Amen? So you're mature in Christ, and that is the perfect will of God. All truth has the ability to set us free in our lives as believers. In order for this to be realized, we have to allow the Word of God to govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. We have to allow the Word of God to govern what we think, what we say, and what we what? Do, right? Correct? All right. So, 
Romans chapter 6. That's just a review of what we've gone over. If you want to go back and watch the three, first three or listen, whatever, you can go back to the website and look at them. They're all there or our YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. You can find them there. Um, we're, we're in Romans chapter 6. I just want to share the overviews that I read last week as I ended. The great theme of Romans is God's method of making sinners righteous. And it continues in chapter 6. So uh, you, Romans 1 through 5 deals a lot with the process of God's actions to us prior to us being saved. Then once we're born again, there's an action of God that continues in our lives. And that is sanctification. Earlier the epistle showed how God changes a man's position. Now we learn how God provides for a change of of man's condition or what we're emphasizing, experiential sanctification. The former chapters to chapter 6 dealt with the pardon of sin's guilt. Now we learn of deliverance from sin's power. Somebody say amen. The believer's sin issue is in the mind and in the body. And grace has empowered us to overcome both. One of the last verses in chapter 5 states where sin abounded, what? Grace did much more abound. Some have wanted to use this verse or other verses to prove that justification encourages sin. And that's what Paul's dealing with here in Romans 6. They say if the guilty sinner is declared righteous solely by faith and not by works, then let us do evil that good may come. Boy, that's a twisted thought, isn't it? If the more heinous the sins, the more abundant the grace to pardon, then may we not go, go on, then may we not go on in sin that the grace of God may be more magnified. That's like saying, my wife loves me so much, I'm gonna go cheat on her a lot. That just hit home, didn't it? That's what you're doing when you, in, in, in choosing to reject the empowerment to overcome sin and play in things in the world or in sin instead of pursuing righteousness and holiness in your day-to-day walk with the Lord. Amen? Of course, not from a place of earning it, but understanding who you are in Christ. Such was the slanderous accusation that the Jews made of Paul's teaching. He defended the doctrine of justification against the charge that encourages increasing sin in order to display grace more abundantly. This defense is the doctrine of sanctification. This truth is set forth perhaps more completely in Romans 6 than anywhere else in the scripture. There are two divisions in the chapter and both are introduced by a question which Paul answers with a firm statement, God forbid. God acts not only to bring a person into right relationship with himself, but also to enable that person to act in accordance with that relationship. This means that God deals with the power of sin through Christ and the Holy Spirit. There is, and I'm going to skip down here in this because I want to get to some teaching here. There is a temptation to see justification as a divine initiative and sanctification as a human endeavor. Now listen to me. There is a temptation to see justification as a divine initiative. In other words, God did this. And then sanctification as my job. I have to to purify myself by myself. What Paul will make clear in chapter 6 is that we become like Christ 
only as we are joined to him or as we are in Christ. In other words, the grace of God continues to be available through Christ and that grace affects the change in us. It is the Holy Spirit who transmits this transforming grace. The imperatives of chapter 6 to right thinking and right acting stress our responsibility to respond to grace and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How many have ever thought, man, I got this sin in my life and I, I can't, I, 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 I. I can't get rid of it. And I hate it. Do you know why you hate it? Because you have righteousness in your heart. So Paul preached this over and over again in the epistles. He said, if I can get your thinking right, and it'll line up with who you are in Christ, you'll dominate this. The key is, don't give up. Amen? So people say, well, the Holy Spirit is condemning me. No. He is not a condemner. Now, he will convince you and tell you that it's wrong. But more than likely, your own heart is condemning you. You say, what do you mean by that? You feel bad because you know. You know why that feel bad is there? It's contrary to the nature of Christ within you. So you actually are empowered to live above all sin, and we'll see that. In the new covenant, the basis for victorious living is not the law, but rather learning to abide in Christ. Or you could say, learning to live from the inside out. Okay? In the first 10 verses of this chapter, two main facts are laid before us. First, Christians have a permanent relationship with freedom from their sinful nature. You should write that down. First, Christians have a permanent, come on, permanent relationship with freedom from their sinful nature. You say, where is that? It's in your spirit. If any man be in Christ, he's a... All old things have... But some people think all old things have remained. And the reason why is because your thinking's off and you still have this tent. Okay? They need not submit to obey it. Second, by the miracle of the new birth, we receive a new nature. We become new creatures. We are given the desire and the power to do God's will. So what is sin? Sin, sin simply, and, it's, and I'm not going to give you the Greek word, but it just means to miss the mark. It means a failing to hit the mark or a missing of the mark. So the mark or the bullseye in this situation is Jesus Christ, or you could say the law. He is the standard. As believers, we miss the mark when we don't walk by faith. We miss the mark when we don't respond from our born-again nature. That's when we miss the mark. Well, repent. 1 John 1, 9 is there for you. Use it. Amen? Declare to the Lord, you know, Lord, I acted that way, but that is not in line with who you made me. I yielded to my flesh, and my thinking was not, I, I didn't have a hold of my thoughts like I should at that moment, so I ask you to forgive me for that. And the cleansing of unrighteousness that takes place is where? In the mind and in the body. 
And people say, well, I don't have to get saved again? No. <laughs> I mean, my, the altar calls here would be massive if you had to get saved every time you sinned as a believer. After, I mean, I'd have to answer them. You say, answer what? The altar call. Because if every time I sinned, I lost my salvation, quote unquote, which I don't even like that statement. Because it's not like you're walking one day, slip on a banana peel, and go, oh, there's my salvation. There it went. <laughs> you can't just lose it. It's not like your dog that's untrained. God didn't do a partial work. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. I sure feel bad for my sin. Well, you shouldn't feel good for it. <laughs> if you feel good for it, I'm going to give an altar call at the end, and you can repent and get your heart right. Amen? Verse 1, what shall we say then? Romans 6, 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Other translations of this verse say this, shall we persist in sin that the gift of grace may be more abundant? The Amplified says, what shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace, favor, and mercy may multiply and overflow? Now that we are born again, shall we continually live under the dictates of the flesh or the sin nature because we are under grace? The question posed by Paul in verse 1 is answered in Romans 5.20 where sin abounded what? Grace did much more abound. In other words, if you are hearing the gospel of grace that is preached and concluding that sin doesn't matter anymore, then you are not hearing the proper message. Or we could say, we could say it this way, based on Romans 5.20, you should be hearing that grace is so abundant in Christ that sin has no chance of remaining in my life. And I will say this, the nature of Satan. That's what we should be hearing. I should hear, whoa. And, I, and, I, and the Holy Spirit said this to me the other day, and I thought, my goodness, that is wonderful. But he said grace, the gospel of grace, declares unmerited favor and unlimited power. In other words, I was a sinner and I was good at it and God pursued me based on unmerited favor and when I received him, then he empowered me to walk the way Jesus demonstrated. And that's what's in you. Say, that's in me, that's in me, that's in me, that's in me. Truly... True Holy Spirit understanding of the grace of grace is the realization that you have that you you have to receive your salvation by faith, not by works. Say this. Say this with me. Say, I am not saved by works. That means when you did something you weren't supposed to, God wasn't like. Hmm. I'm not saving, any, saving them anymore, Jesus. <laughs> they hurt my feelings. You go talk to them and tell them if they're nice, I'll be nice again. It seems funny, but this is how Christians live with each other. Okay, moving on. 
And in this reception of grace, you were empowered to live dead to sin. Or we could say we are empowered to give our souls and members or body to righteousness. A true encounter with the grace of God produces a desire in the heart of the believer to steer clear of sin and sinful lifestyles. A true encounter with the grace of God produces a desire in the heart of the believer to live as close to God as possible. Amen? And the possibility is huge. The gospel of grace is such a strong, it is such a strong presentation. Listen to this closely. I want you to hear this. The gospel of grace is such a strong presentation of God's love to the lost that some have mistaken the message to imply that sin doesn't matter. This is why the Holy Spirit is dealing with this, uh, dealing with us here through, through Paul the Apostle. When you hear and understand grace properly, you will understand that God loves you unconditionally and that he empowers you to live sanctified. Or we could say set apart. Set apart. Most of the time believers get into trouble and sin because they don't understand what they have. They understand what happens when they die but they don't understand how to live while they're here. We are not just holding on until we get to heaven. We are empowered to overcome as we rush heaven. Amen? We're empowered to overcome. Verse number two. We're talking about the fact that you are alive unto God and dead to sin. That's what we're talking about. Verse number two, Paul answers the question in verse number one. What does he say? Certainly not. How shall we who, what, died to sin live in it, what, any longer? Listen to some other translations here. God forbid, he says. Shall we continue in sin? What did he say? God forbid. Now watch. In today's society in the church, it's, Oh, it's okay. Is sin no big deal? All right. Don't like that one. I got more. (laughs) Think about the penalty that Jesus had to pay if sin is no big deal. Come on. Let it settle into you. Paul was very, very straightforward. He said the wages of sin is. So sin, if you think about it this way, when you miss the mark, you actually end up engaging with death intimately. Do you see that? And in order to redeem us, what did Jesus have to do? It's a big deal. Now, people say, well, that's kind of heavy. Well, it's just a scripture. I mean, if you can rewrite the Bible, you can join other cults. Now, I want you to think about this this way. Because you've got to think on both sides here. Did God pursue you when you were doing nothing good for him? So his love never changes. So why would God be so heavy here 
through the Holy Spirit and the apostle in regards to speaking to the sin issue because he knows it'll do what? Kill you. If your child was going to run into a busy street, would you be heavy-handed? Would, would your child then look at you and go, you don't love me, you know, you, you just want to, you're taking, well, immaturity does that. But I've watched Christians do that. I've sat in church for years, a pastor or somebody comes and talks to them and said, man, you're living like this, it's going to cost you something. And they get all stiff, you know, stiff-necked. <laughs> they just think they're better than me. No. We just don't want you to die. How many have seen the effects of death? Now, I'm not just talking about dying, the, 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 you know, you're pushing up daisies dying. I'm talking about how many have seen the effects of sin in your own life and how it affected other people around you. Hello. Now, thank God for his redemption. But I'm telling you what. We should go, we should look at sin and go, mm -mm, we ain't married. <laughs> if you'll read Romans 7, that's what he says. I know that's the Sean International Version, but it's simply, no, nah, we ain't married no more. Come on, you divorce sin when you got saved. That means that, that means people say, well, well, then why am I still tempted? Because the divorcee, the abuser, sin, Satan, does, he's like, he's like an abusive, totalitarian man that won't leave a woman alone that he's abused for years. He keeps trying to come around. He keeps trying to escape the restraining order. But in the name of Jesus, if you will rise up, with who's on the inside of you, you can say, no, addiction, you're not welcome here. I'm married, I'm intimate with another now, and his name is the king of righteousness. I am empowered now to live free from lying, free from bitterness. Come on, free from perpetual hurt. Come on, free from perpetual, it's not fair. Come on, how many have dealt with that? You know, it's like you get free of alcohol, and I got free of uh, smoking weed and drinking alcohol, and I got free of, you know, pornography, and I got free of, and then I found all these other things that tried to attach themselves to me. You know, things, just nasty little creepy things like insecurity. The little creepy crawly, you know, if, if you could depict the devil and how he operates and what he does, if he can't get you on the big thing, you can just flip a rock over. How many have ever done that in the woods? And then there's all these little creepy crawly things that come out. And that's what sin is like. And you go, ooh, you know. So he says, God forbid. He said, certainly not. That's what that means. How shall we who are dead to sin or the sin nature live in it any longer? You say, if I'm dead to the sin nature, why am I still tempted? Because the sin nature is still in your flesh. It's not in you. I'm not talking that you have a dual nature. When you understand who you are in the spirit, you know that God is not sitting on the couch of your heart with demons all around him going, hey guys, how's it going? He's not doing that at all. The nature within you is 100% in your spirit, Holy Ghost. 
You say, what do you mean? It is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost, as Andrew Womack says. One-third of you is phenomenal. Two-thirds need work. <laughs> if, you, if I could just get rid of my flesh and my carnal thinking, you would look at me and go, he's amazing. But the things that you see in me that you don't aren't, aren't amazing. They're just, they're just natural, not supernatural. Those are the things that need to be dealt with in experiential sanctification. Amen? Let's finish verse 2 and we'll be done. Another translation says, Much, May such thing never occur. How can we endure living in it who have been separated once and for all from the sinful nature? We have ended our relation to sin. We died to it. Another translation, the message says this, or it's paraphrase, I guess, but it says this. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? I like that. God's word translation says this. That's unthinkable. As far as sin is concerned, we have died. So how can we still live under sin's influence? This verse then must be understood with our understanding of sanctification. First of all, what, of us, uh, what part of us died to sin when we were born again? Our spirits. This verse reveals the reality of the believer's spirit once born again. When we received Jesus as our Savior, we died to sin and Satan and Satan, and we were made alive to God by the Holy Spirit. Christians do not sin in their spirit. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 18, and 19, you'll see some of this. The gospel of grace does not promote sin, but rather it empowers the believer to no longer live in sin. So transformed thinking for the believer is, I am dead to sin. I have power working in me that I need to allow to work out of me in my soul and my body. So transformed thinking of the believer is what? I am what? Dead to sin. So say this with me. Say, I am dead to sin. Now, what does that do? Well, it gets your thinking in line with the empowerment that you already possess in Christ. So that when the temptation comes against you to look on something on the internet that you shouldn't, you go, mm, I'm dead to this. You don't own me, devil. I'm owned by Jesus to live a sanctified life. Now, if you do go where you shouldn't go, you got another verse. 1 John 1.9. And go to that verse... Look at Hebrews, come boldly to the throne. People say, well, do you have to mention that stuff? Surely I do if the Holy Ghost tells me to. I just want a church where they, you know, they don't talk about stuff like that. You can remain bound if you want to. But I think I'd rather be free. And freedom requires humility. And humility is never a benefit for your flesh nature. Your flesh nature will go, don't. Do it, and you got to go schmack. <laughs> this means that conformed thinking in the believer, listen to this, conform, not transform, thinking in the believer would leave the impression that they were still alive to sin. 
Did you hear that? Conformed thinking, religious or worldly thinking, in the believer leaves you with the understanding that you're still united to sin in your spirit and you're not. People say, this is tough. No, it's really not. It's just that our thinking is so carnal. Or we've never been taught what that verse, these verses mean. We run around and declare and say, you know, people, we, and I, I'm not totally against this statement, but I want you to hear me. We, 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 we walk around in Christian circles talking, well, we all sin, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, we do, yes. We all sin. We just all sin. You know, I just sin. I'm just going to go out the door and sin. I can't help it. I'm just going to sin. I'll probably sin four times before I get to my car. That's right, I just can't control myself. And that's a lie. The Bible says you have God's self-control. I have God's self-control in me, which means what? That my lack of self-control is inexcusable. But what we haven't understood is, is that we, we have power to overcome. We've been taught, we've been mistaught that we don't, to, to, to think that God hasn't empowered us, but he has. The death, of the, the death of the believer to sin means that the domination of sin has been broken. In short, Paul's initial response to the change that this gospel promotes sin is that grace, instead of encouraging sin, actually provides the means to escape its fatal grip. Did you hear that? We're going to end with this. The death of the believer to sin means that the domination of sin has been broken. Let me ask you something. If Mike came up here and he put a gun to my head and he shot me, just stick with the illustration. People's minds go, why would Mike do that? It's an illustration. (laughs) Don't disconnect, okay? If he he came up here and he did that and, and my body just fell dead here, What if Mike right after that went, hey, Sean, I got some beers. You want to go get drunk? Is my body going to go, and I got to put it back down? Is it just going to, you know, whatever the temptation is. Is my body going to just, oh, I can't help, I can't help it. There'd be a lot more people raised from the dead if that was the case, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You'd just have to dangle a little sin in front of them and whammo, they'd be alive, you know? No. If I'm dead to sin, come on, in the spirit, that means you have victory over it. Because how does a dead person sin? Come on, I'm not, I'm not, my dad's been in heaven for years. I'm not dragging him out of bars. Now you get out of here. I can't believe you're still doing this. He's not here. He's in heaven. He would have loved that illustration too. Man, Lord, let him see that one. It was a good one. All right. (laughs) 
He would have. Good sense of humor. All right, so it's probably improved in heaven, I'm sure. His sense of humor, you know. <laughs> Don't make light of the dead. He's not dead. Hello, he moved. His body died, and that's the problem. We identify too much with this. Amen. Young people, teenagers, guys, you have the same self-control in you that Jesus has. You can overcome. Amen? The death of the believer to sin means that the domination of sin has been broken. In short, Paul's initial response to the charge that this gospel promotes sin is that grace, instead of what? Encouraging sin, actually what? Provides the mean of what? means of what? Escape. So whenever sin, you're tempted... And uh, if, if, if uh, Joy, you come, we're going to do the altar call here. But if, if sin comes to you and you're like, oh, you know, thinking in your mind. And I, I understand why this is because you've got, you got to transform. You have to have your thinking transformed. So sometimes it can feel like, oh, this temptation is so big. I haven't been able to overcome not responding to people who cut me off in traffic for years. It's Goliath. It's huge. <laughs> There's that person at work, and they just set me off. And you're like, you know, you know, clinching your fists in your pockets, whatever the case may be. If you think of it in terms of, I'm emp- I am empowered to escape this. It'll change your perspective. Come on now. We prayed for uh, PTSD a couple of weeks ago. Think about this. If you're going to overcome the spirit of fear, that's what PTSD is. It's the spirit of fear. If you're going to overcome that, you have to see yourself as empowered to beat that. Now watch. Not in yourself. What I mean by that is not just in your in your uh, uh, intellect and not just in your natural flesh, but you're humbling yourself to the Spirit of God within you. You're submitting yourself to God and you're what? Resisting the devil and he has to what? Flee from you. Now watch, we think we read flee from you. We think, oh yeah, he's going to flee from me. Well, yes, but really he's fleeing from the nature of the resurrection within you. Come on, he remembers when Jesus, come on, southern, they say it in the south, they say what? Whooped him. They, the demons remember when Jesus whooped them. Now watch, say this with me, put your hand right here, say this, in, say this with me, say that power, that power lives in me, lives in me. Right, now. right now. And people say, well, I get around marijuana and I just get shaking and, and then I start sweating and all that and you just need to say in the name of Jesus' body, settle down now. You are not in control of me. I am in control of you. I get around alcohol. I get around these people. I get, you know, I get to say, no, no, panic attacks. You cannot be in my soul or in my body because Jesus is home here. This is Jesus' house. Peace, rest. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11, that he has planted eternity in the hearts of men. Every person has a deep-seated knowledge in them of eternity. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn you, but that the world through him might be saved, that you might be saved through him. The Bible also says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all made mistakes. We have all fell short of God's standard of righteousness. And that's why he sent Jesus. We see in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. God wanted us to be brought back into relationship with him, and how he did that was through Jesus. It says this in Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We receive God's forgiveness through faith by trusting in Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You can receive this gift right now. So if you're watching online or you're in the room here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, and commitment to him. Either one of those, I want you to either let us know online if you're uh, on the live stream they're watching to see. And then in-house, if that's you and you want to give your heart to the Lord, please raise your hand where you're at. I'd be glad to pray with you. Praise God. Okay. And if you could do it so I could see it, that would be gratefully helpful. Thank you. Is there anybody else? You know. You just need to get right with the Lord. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Okay. You see anybody from your angle, Josh, this way? No? Okay. All right. Well, let's pray with this one that has decided to do that. And if you could all just pray with me. Just say this, Heavenly Father, thank you that your son Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead so that I could receive forgiveness. Become your child and receive the gift of eternal life. I come to you now. Repent of all my sin. I not only receive your gift of forgiveness, but I give you all of my life all of my heart. I believe you've accepted me because Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Thank you for saving me, making me your child, and helping me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So if you did pray that prayer, I just want you, I would encourage you to come up. 
We have a new believers pack here with our uh, with Rick and Luann who are doing altar care. We also have altar care workers on this side. If you need prayer for anything, come and have them pray for you. If the one who did give their heart to the Lord, please get the pack. And inside of it, there's a card that has uh, seven, six different lessons that are on our website that will help you along with what's in the pack to get grounded in your faith and get going and strengthened in that area. God bless you guys. Did you receive anything? All right, Wednesday night we got Bible study. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.